I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. This is a, another episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, I'm Matt Harris, and my voice in this position probably sounds very, very strange to you. It probably also may not sound as good as the one that's usually here. Uh, Unfortunately, Sam Snelling uh, can't be with us to record this week. He's got, uh, I think his wife's birthday is on Monday. So we are actually going to record on Sunday today. And that means it's me and Matt Watkins. And we're going to talk all about Missouri basketball, which you may or may not be eager to hear about. But that's why you download this podcast and what we get paid to talk about. So after that stilted intro, uh, Matt, how are you doing today? And uh, are you ready to get really into the weeds of what is looking like a, a really rough season for Mizzou? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, staying warm. I uh, fighting the lighting here in my uh, in my basement slash studio with the very white outdoors beaming in through the uh, through the windows. So um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's cold. Mizzou's uh, shooting's gone cold, and uh, I'm here. I'm I'm trying to fight. If somebody watches this on the video stream, there's a lovely overhead light that's causing all kinds of fun stuff here. We're not going to do well in room Raiders. Um, I guess the best way to say this is just to jump into it. Missouri uh, is coming off an 0 and two week. They are now 0 and three in the sec. They lost 90 to 77 on Tuesday night at Kentucky. And then yesterday in a game that I'm sure we're going to just revel in a 71 69 overtime loss to South Carolina. And, at this point, I don't know what positives there are. I don't know what autopsies are going to turn up that can really inspire hope, but we'll sift through the wreckage here. And 
I guess the best way to sort of start here is to look at the game that was most recent. That was yesterday. Um, and I'll just throw it open. Your initial thoughts on what was a game that I thought Missouri had two or three chances to secure, but ultimately did not go their way. And now they're in a really tough spot. Yeah, it's uh, that one was uh, that was a tough loss. Both the Georgia and South Carolina games, when you when you looked at the schedule, even back in late December, those were games you circled that Mizzou needed to win. Um, you know, there's I don't want to say anything bad about South Carolina or Georgia, but I would be a little surprised if they finish top half in the yeah. league, and if they don't you really need to win the bottom half games at home. And Mizzou had a chance in both of those games and didn't. Um, Yesterday, it it wasn't a very pretty game, but there was never a real thought that South Carolina was going to go on a run, um, which to some extent Mizzou should be um, applauded for that. There was – they gave up a 7-0 run to start the game. Um, But other than that, I don't think South Carolina ever strung three baskets together in a row. <laughs> you know, it was, they had, they had their chances and, you know, I believe they were up three at the under four timeout. And even then you felt like all Mizzou needs to do is execute at an average level down the stretch and they were going to pull it off and they yeah. didn't. Um, so that's a, that's a tough loss, probably even tougher than the Georgia game. Um, Mizzou needed that one. They were in a position to get it and it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I I think we were joking, you know, that the first team to sort of go on an 8 or 10-0 run probably gets the result in this one. It was that kind of game. I think it was largely played on South Carolina's terms. The pace was pretty mm-hmm. modest for them. Um, I thought South Carolina was getting kind of the shot distribution it normally wants um, in terms of, you know, three-point shots. But they weren't shooting the ball particularly well. Um, I think Mizzou – deserves a little bit of credit defensively for some contests, but there were some other ones where I just thought it wasn't South Carolina's day. They weren't converting on some open looks. And so when you're having that kind of day from an offense, that's that's been maximizing those. That's a benefit. And also Missouri, you know, some of it was Missouri's pressure, you know, creating turnovers, but some of it was just South Carolina not valuing the ball. When you have a team that's at two times its normal turnover rate, it's not making shots. You know, it felt like that was a game, you know, we've talked about in the past where, teams have created conditions for Missouri to get a win and you know they're up three I think when they go uh in the under four they're up 58 55 you know you felt like if they could just you know do what veteran teams do down the stretch they would get a win and that clearly didn't happen um and I I think the hardest part is going to be you know the end of regulation where they've just got to one guy's got to stay in the hole near the free throw line the other guy's got to get out and close down a shooter that switch gets blown, and now you've got overtime. And, you know, South Carolina, I think, carrying between regulation and overtime went on an 8-2 run and really opened it up. You know, they didn't get a lot of offensive you know, execution, but they got it at the right time. And I, I don't know, realistically, if this one is going to be easy to forget. Because these are the games where I think you want a lot of experience to show it through. You want your guys – come down and getting good offense you want them to recognize what good shots are you want them to be able to execute basic defensive assignments you want them to convert the front ends of one and ones it's just like i think yesterday was dispiriting because there's a lot of hallmarks in that game that you want to see from a veteran team that's in a tight spot 
and they just don't get it. And now you start to worry about knock-on effects. But uh, I didn't know what stood out to you just sort of about the last four or five minutes of that volume because it seems like that's everything else that came before we could talk about. But really, that's the whole ball of wax there is really the the in-game setup for them. Well, you know, offensively, it's it's been a common thread since they got into league play. Um, I ran some numbers earlier this morning doing the game reviews, and I looked at the last 15 possessions of each game, which last game would have been overtime and uh, back into regulation. But the last 15 possessions, you can say about the last six to eight minutes, depending yeah. on the pace of a game. Um, so obviously that includes crunch time as well, but Mizzou's offense has just been bad. It's been bad during that time. I, over those, I think 45 possessions I looked at, they're averaging a 0.733 points per possession, which is, um, you know, if that were over the course of a full game would be among, if not the worst in America, uh, their effective field goal percentage in those 45 minutes total is a (laughs) 20.7. So each shot is worth roughly 0.4 points per possession or points per shot, I should say. And the the thing that really sticks out is they only have two turnovers in those last three end of game scenarios, which that's, that's not bad, but then you look at their shot profile. They've taken 15 threes, 20 mid range jumpers and six ring attempts. Um, they have gotten to the free throw line 20 times. We'll count at 22 since they missed two front ends yeah. in overtime uh, yesterday. But 35 out of 41 shots they've taken that counted as field goals were jumpers of some sort. Yeah. And they went one of 15 from three-point range, and they've made two of 20 in the mid-range. Yeah. <laughs> they're shooting yeah. 10% on the worst shots in basketball, and they're taking them more frequently than anything else. Yeah. They're not hitting their three-point shots, which some are good, some are bad. And I think, you know, in theory to me, this kind of looks like a team that is their their best offensive players are just – they're not executing in crunch time. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that those three guys are playing 30 minutes plus a game. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's – anyone who's played basketball knows it's hard to shoot jumpers when you're tired. And if you're playing 35 minutes a game, your legs might be gone in the last five minutes. Um, And granted, Sean East was out for, I will allow that he was out for a little bit during the Kentucky game, which is included in this um, when he took a nasty bump to his eye, but still. There's some quality um, shots down the stretch there too, that you got Tamar Bates getting some quality looks, Carter getting some quality looks. So it's, you and I have talked a lot about kind of the shot profile for this group. And I think the hard part here is this is a group that is more mid-range oriented. Sean East is probably, not probably, but over the long course of this season has been their best offensive threat. And this has been a recurring theme for him at UMass, at Bradley, at Johnny Logan last year and this year. He wants to sort of live in that six to 15 foot range. Now, sometimes it's a runner, sometimes it's a sweeping, like kind of baby hook, sometimes it's a pull up, but that's where he wants to operate and kind of play out of that toolkit. And so, what you're seeing is a guy that's kind of taking the shots that are comfortable for him. But even if he's a high efficiency guy on those shots, they're still worth like what 0.89, 0.9, 0.91 points per attempt you're not 
getting the same kind of value out of those attempts as you would be a straight rim attempt. Tamar Bates, I think, is getting better at hunting for his shots. But, you know, we people talk about, you know, there's shades of Kareem Rush there, which sounds like a compliment, but Kareem spent a lot of time living in those in-between spaces offensively. And defenses are conceding those more. And, you know, sometimes those are good shots. But, you know, again, the value quite isn't there. Noah Carter, I think, is still a guy who is struggling to really get traction from about six foot and in, you know, I've written about that. You know, I think guys have figured out that, you know, if you force him to his left hand, you know, rim finishing for him is still going to be tough. And, you know, they Nick honor at this point, you know, is probably one of the biggest regressions I've seen from a player in a long, long time. And, you know, I just don't know at this point, you know, how, much you can really rely on Nick to be a high efficiency player for you. And so what you've got are two guys that want to live in the mid range, one who's struggling when he's driving the ball and the one who's just struggling period. You add the minutes to that. It's just not a good recipe for, you know, in game, you know, execution for them. And I think the really hard part is, you know, as we've talked about, look down the lineup, where are alternatives that you can go to for those last four minutes? Caleb Grill is not back. You know, Aiden Shaw is not an offensive threat that you can, in any real sense at this point. You know, Ant Robinson, once he gets stronger and gets more experience, maybe he's a guy you want on the floor in the last four minutes. But, you know, you look around, there's just not a lot of alternatives there. So the question's going to be, you know, what can they do in these situations where they can't get away from playing heavy minutes, but, you know, the guys that are shooting – are tired and the shot profiles aren't good. I don't know what they are and, you know, what the solution is here. Yeah. I heard some criticism of, you know, the in-game plays here. Dennis Gates, even if you can't factor in yesterday, grades out as one of the best coaches in the country for special teams in terms of efficiency. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're top 20 percentile nationally, top 80th percentile or better in out-of-bounds, underside, and ATOs. They're really, really good in special teams. And so the, and that gets to the other thing is Dennis might draw up something fantastic in the huddle. The guys might understand it. They've got to go execute it. And I think that's where we are right now is, you know, we've hit the end of where coaching can take them to where this is on the players on the floor and what their skill sets are. And that's frustrating if you're a fan, I understand, because it's like you need those guys to play better. That's what right. it comes to. They just got to play better. And, you know, we, we look at a lot of numbers and we watch a lot of tape, but end of the day, guys have to make shots and execute you know, what's drawn up, what the system is, and that's just not happening right now. And I don't have an easy solution sitting here on a Sunday in January for fixing it. Like, I think that that's really the really the hard part. There's one easy solution. Make more shots, right? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. And, you know, I think we say that we, you know, we saw the same thing on Tuesday night at Kentucky over the, mm-hmm. what, the final eight or nine minutes. They didn't make a, field goal for what the basically the final 10 minutes of that ball game let me i got the numbers here i got that that uh, that's please please share that because that's <laughs> let, let's depress people even more <laughs> okay so they did make a field goal um noah carter did on the second to last possession okay i thought so um, that was i don't know if these possessions are exactly what the statistical 
savants have for the game possession number, but I have that as possession 76 of 77. That would make sense, yeah. The last field goal I have made before that was um, possession number 57, yep. which was about nine and a half minutes to go, was a uh, Aiden Shaw cut for a dunk. Yep. And yeah, before it was that, the last shot that was made was a Nick Honor contested three-point attempt at possession 55. Yep. So, yeah, you're looking about 23, 24 possessions there where you have um, a garbage time bucket and – A 45 cut for a dunk. Right. And that is your offensive output. Now, to Mizzou's credit, they did hit two, four, six, eight – 9, 11, 13 free throws in the process, which that is what kept them in the game. And I'm very pleased that they did that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't get those points, you're looking at a 25-point loss. Um, but Mizzou did that, and it, they mainly did that from attacking the rim, which I'm I'm not criticizing that whatsoever. No. Even if they weren't making field goals, or if you're getting to the line and getting points, that's what you want to do. But it's just um, – you know, it, it's a common thread. If that was the only game where that happened, it wouldn't be noteworthy. But every game since we've hit conference play, yeah. Mizzou has struggled in that crunch time. And it's all with the inability to make jump shots. Yeah. And you saw it against Georgia coming out of the under four, what? I think the first three or four trips out of that, they got a kill. They got three straight stops. <laughs> and let's, uh, then, let's go to the data. It's. <laughs> The, basically at every under four for the last three games, it's just like you said, it's been, it's been a, a, a wasteland in terms of actually making shots. Mm -hmm. And I, the Kentucky game, I think it is palatable from a fan perspective because that expected margin was probably 12 or 13. If you factored in recent form, right. Missouri was a 24 point underdog. The fact that they hit the margin in that game is fantastic. I, I think that there were, a lot of positives to draw out of the Kentucky game in terms of, I think one, how the coaching staff adapted. I think they really figured out early on that Kentucky was targeting the living crap out of Nick honor. They made some smart moves with the press to kind of get Kentucky from walking into their stuff. I thought that was a really, really smart play. I thought they were smart when they subbed in guys like Mabor Majak or some of their deep guys when Kentucky was putting Ugan Yinso or Aaron Bradshaw in they really did a smart job sort of managing risk in a game that I thought was going to get away from them. That coaching staff deserves credit for that and really, you know, kind of putting out those fires early. Players on the floor deserve credit. You know, we talked, Sam and I, last week about this was a game where we thought John East could have a really, really fun time getting baseline access. Sure enough, he did. Their base stuff was getting him to spots, getting them looks they wanted. Again, I thought they were smart with play calls when Kentucky put some inexperienced bigs on the floor. They ran more Princeton stuff and guys executed. And for the most part, for 30 minutes of that basketball game, I thought Missouri did everything it possibly could to position itself to apply game pressure, which to bring it back to your point, the offense didn't do it for them. You know, they got to the line and drew some fouls, but there were some quality looks three or four in there where I thought that's a good shot within the flow of the offense. They got two threes on catch and shoots on the same possession off an offensive rebound and missed both, you know, at some point, again, it, we can debate substitution patterns, rotations, anything else you want. Guys got to make shots. And that didn't happen on Tuesday, even back to Georgia. I thought that was the same thing. You know, they got three rim attempts down the stretch, mm -hmm. didn't convert rim attempts. It's, 
you know, I think a lot of people are going to kind of focus on it's time to bail out. You know, what are they going to do? What, what's left? Guys have to make shots and they have to make plays. And, you know, we're sort of giving short trip to the Kentucky game flow here. But I think what we're looking at is a team that I worry about their confidence coming out of these three games. You know, three games where they've been in position to get a win. You know, I don't, you know, two and one was never going to happen. Three and oh was never going to happen. But getting a win out of this stretch was highly likely. And to come up empty, and especially with two games, you know, Georgia and South Carolina, the circumstances under which that happened, you really worry now about mm-hmm. the confidence for being there for this group. But it's yeah, in many ways they're they're kind of the opposite of last year's team. I don't yep. think this year's team is a bad basketball team, but I think they're not a winning basketball team. Yeah. And the distinction there is what we've been talking about. They've played well enough in the last three games and really outside of Illinois, all of the games. Um, yeah to have a chance to win in the second half, but they're not doing it. And, you know, syntax, grammar, depends on your definition of good, bad. Um, You know, a lot of people will say winning basketball teams are good teams and losing basketball teams are bad. I look at it a little bit different. Um, Mizzou's team last year, I don't think was a great basketball team, but I think they were a great winning team. Um, You know, I think they were 13 and three in games decided by, yeah. single digits. And this year, I believe it's three and five or three and six. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's a big difference maker. The guys who can get it done um, when the game's on the line, those teams are considered the good teams, but does it really matter over the course of thousands of possessions? If 10 of them make you a winning team or a losing team, you can debate that, but that's how I'm looking at it. You know, and, yeah. Um, for the first 30, 35 minutes of these last three games, Mizzou's went, toe-to-toe and I had every chance in the world to win those games in the last five, 10 minutes. They, they didn't win any of them. Uh, I sort of, I'm like you, I try and take a more nuanced view, which is, you know, for Dre Golson to hit three bankers or for Dre Golson to hit two game winners last year, for Nick to basically hit a game winner, you had to be in position in crunch time for those shots to matter or to have any consequence at all. And those teams I think were fantastic in late game situations you know, they were porous defensively. You know, they could be streaky shooters at times, but they were able to muster enough execution in the last five minutes to where they could position themselves with those types of plays to get made. And, you know, Dree doesn't practice those shots, but, you know, to be in position where those can swing a game and can tip a result in your favor requires some execution down the stretch. And, there is, and frequently in some of those games, you know, even before those five minutes, you would see them go, okay, we got to get the ball to Kobe, or we've got to start finding Des Moines. There were guys that they could turn to and say, no matter how the offense is functioning, no matter how poorly we're playing defensively, we know that for four or five possessions in a row, we can go to a guy who's going to get us a quality shot, who's going to stabilize us. We can get to a timeout. We can make maybe some adjustments. We can reset and we can go play. They don't have that this year. And it's Mm -hmm. sort of something you, you know, we wrote in the preseason, you wrote a big piece about sort of what they're going to have to do from a collaborative approach. I wrote in the spring about missing Zay. The undertone of all that is 
there's nobody that they can turn to in a huddle and go, okay, we're going to run something for that guy, or we're going to keep calling, you know, this action for three or four plays, and we're going to beat him to death, and we're going to get some points out of it. And even if the guys aren't scoring, even if they're not in the play, seeing those shots go in, seeing that success keeps them engaged, keeps that confidence mm-hmm. there. And that's what I think about when I think about confidence eroding. They've been in three games now where they have not been able to execute, where they've been getting the ball to guys like Tamar, like Sean, like Noah. The first four possessions of overtime went to the four guys you want to have shoot. None of them made a shot. Like at some point, I think that's cumulative. And, you know, the what's worrying now is you're out of a s- entry to the SEC schedule that I thought was pretty favorable to them. And now, you know, looking ahead to this week, it's this thing could pivot pretty quickly and they, mm-hmm. they've, you know, I don't think they're that far from a precipice of, you know, really being in a bad spot and being in yeah. a bad way. But is there anything else on Kentucky that you think we should talk about that stood out to you? I know we sort of ran through it, but I feel like in an aggregate, they did what they needed to kind of do in that game. And we've sort of covered, you know, most of the game flow with, no. Yeah. Kentucky was a better basketball team. That's all it came down to. Yep. And, and, and everything else, I think they did well. They just didn't yeah. have the talent that Kentucky did. And Kentucky's talent executed. Mizzou's executed just not well enough down the stretch. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Um, you've already teed up kind of the in-game stuff here. Uh, we keep talking around it. Mizzou's 0-3. Um. 0-2, you can survive. Plenty of teams have survived 0-2 in this league. Um, but I looked this up yesterday. Since 2018, I left out the COVID season because that was weird from a scheduling perspective. So 2018, 19, 20, 
uh, 22 and 23. Six teams have started 0 and 4. Only one of them finished with better than six wins. Uh, and that team was Texas A&M. They started 0 and 5. They finished 9 and 9. They made the NCAA tournament, but that was a Texas A&M team that I think had just destroyed people in non-con. They had a really, really strong resume pre-conference. I think they entered conference in the top 30 in Kimpom. They are a clear outlier. Um, the average seed for those teams, the other five teams, is around an 11 or a 12 seed. In so, the SEC tournament. In, in the SEC tournament. <laughs> in the SEC tournament. So, basically, if you're 0-4, recent history suggests six wins is probably your ceiling, and getting out of Wednesday is not in the cards. And so I, I, that's all to say they go to Tuesday, they go to Bama on Tuesday. That's That game looms pretty large now. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for this you know season and you know what what they're going to do and I'm just sort of curious you know where do you think this team is trending right now you know is there a, a way that they can maybe scratch out two mm-hmm. wins this week or is this are we reaching a point where we have to sort of talk about this is a group that fate is pretty much rendered at this juncture we need to start taking the long view yeah I mean I've spent the last two weeks working on something that is the long view. So I guess in some, some way I'm already taking that. But, yeah. Um, you know, I, me personally, when I watch it, I, I'm going to watch Mizzou play every year. We are. I, we I are. do it for multiple reasons. It's never going to be, you know, if I'm checked out emotionally, if I'm checked in, it's the same thing for me. Yeah. I want Mizzou to win. I think it's great when they do. Um, I don't like it when they lose, but as far as that emotion, everything else stays the same. So that being said, you know, I'm never going to write a team off in an individual game. Um, basketball is such a crazy sport that the yeah. three-point shot, if one team makes all of them, the other team misses all of them, crazy things can happen. So I'm not going to I'm not going to yeah. write them off in either game, but this is a tough week. It's, uh, you know, Alabama I don't think is Kentucky, but Alabama is a team that if they are um, – if they get rolling a little bit, they can bury you in a hurry. Yeah. Um, Kentucky, I think, is overall a better team. Um, but if you catch Alabama on a bad night, you got a chance to win. If you catch them on a good night, it could get really ugly. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and then Florida, I think, is definitely better than um, South Carolina and Georgia. I don't know if I'm – I should say that, but I am saying it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so Mizzou's going to have to play better than what they've played the first 30 minutes in the last three games, and they're going to have to play in a different realm in the last five to 10 minutes to have a chance in either of these games. Yeah. Um, so I would, you know, if they could get one this week, I think Mizzou, Mizzou fans should be pretty pleased uh, uh, to the extent you can anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I would say Owen two is probably the most likely scenario. Yeah. And that's, you know, the win probably really right now at Kim Palm is 7% for Tuesday night, 38%. Um, for next Saturday, you know, to me, that's the game I have circled there. But Florida on paper right now um, is is going to pose a test here. I mean, they they get on the glass. They've got size. They're a team that right now, you know, at least when I'm looking at it, is, you know, not turning the ball over a ton. You know, you can strip their ball handlers, but their turnover rate is still pretty respectable. They're third in the country in offensive rebound percentage. That's bad news for Missouri. It, you know, they want to play yeah. quick. They've got veteran guards. They've got 
guys in Kugel and Pullen who are really, really great in isolation. Going to be a tough game there. Um, South Carolina's also had, I mean, not South Carolina, but Florida had a as rough of an opening stretch as I could think. They had to play Kentucky at home. They had to go to Ole Miss that had gotten some reinforcements. Uh, they drilled Arkansas yesterday, though, in Gainesville. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it'll be a 22-point loss, but it's it's going to be an uphill challenge for them. If they go 0-5, you know, then I think it'll be time. You know, some people would say it's already time, but I think that'll be the juncture where you can start to really talk about that this team's got a ceiling that probably ends on Wednesday, you know, come March. And Sam wrote about it today. I think he started asking the question of when is it time to shift? I think he's got a lot of really, really good points in there. I'm working on a piece, you know, now that's sort of looking at, you know, what the lineup data is telling us about what a shift should look like. And we can talk about that a little bit. You know, Sam and I kind of hit on it last week. I think there's a clear sense, at least from fans that communicate with us online, that they would love just to see the freshman play 20 minutes a night. My response is, I don't think that's a good idea. <clears throat> so I'm just going to, uh, this is not an articulate way to ask, what does the shift start to look like for you with this roster? You know, if things don't go well Tuesday night, what do you think a shift needs to look like for this team and this set of players? You know, it's I'm I'm kind of tackling that with what I'm doing and will be released in the in the near future. But uh, to me, you really have to think about what you have coming back next year or what you're wanting to come back next year. Obviously, Mizzou is going to be losing some seniors. Uh, Nick Honor, Sean East and Noah Carter are uh, going to be departing, possibly others as well. Um, but I really think you need to ask yourself the hard question of what do I want next year's team to look like? And I think that Tamar Bates has certainly given you an indication that you want him back next year. He's been in what is progressing into a lost season. He's been a revelation. He's been really, Um, really good. Aiden Shaw kind of flashes and then regresses, flashes, regresses. And I shouldn't say regress, but just – steps back out of the, the spotlight, so to yeah. speak. Um, you know, when he flashes, he is very flashy. <laughs> when he is not doing those things, he's barely on the court offensively. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you, you kind of got to look and take stock of what guys you want to see uh, or what guys you think you want to have and you're going to build around next year, including the freshmen. Um, and then you kind of – I think you, you might – this might not be what everyone wants to hear, but I think you do want to give some give some run to the guys that you're not sure about, you know. And I'm not I'm not putting anyone's name out there individually, but if you want to see a guy who's not gotten a lot of time that has eligibility next year, give him some give him some opportunity to show what he has, you know. You need to you need to both build and make decisions at the same yeah. time, yeah. and that obviously means playing freshmen, playing guys who don't play as much. But you also need to know what you have. Um, and when you've got guys who are juniors and seniors on your roster who haven't gotten a lot of time, um, I think it's beneficial to see what they have in extended time. You know, yeah. are these guys going to be pieces for you going forward? And if they're not, you need to know that. Yeah. Uh, so to me, I think you definitely want to 
you're, you're going to want to get the freshmen involved. Um, I think how they were doing it earlier this season is probably fine yeah. with me. You know, yeah. when, when you've got um, Jordan Butler and Trent Pierce playing five, 10 minutes a game, Anthony Robinson yeah. playing 15 minutes a game. I don't think these guys need to be in the starting lineup and you just play them for 30 minutes a game yeah. and see what happens. And I say that for one big reason. Yes, that gets some experience, but you don't want guys to go out there as freshmen and just to get their brains beat in. Yeah. There's, <laughs> you're not building anything by doing that. Yeah. So you want to do it intelligently, but I do, I would like to see them play more than they played the last two games. Once we hit that point. Yeah. I think that's, that's an important point here is I think there's everyone sort of, you and I know it, it's Ketter's Paribus. We assume all minutes are equal, but like, mm-hmm. and everything's linear. Like the more minutes I give to Trent, the more benefit that will naturally occur and it will be in this sort of linear path here. And that's not at all how this works. Everyone's skill curve and trajectory is very, very different. And, you know, I think there's a human element that gets lost here is if you put guys out there and they get their brains beat in one, does that affect their confidence, you know, going into summer into a seat, into an off season that is probably the most important in their development. You know, do you, you want them going in, not just feeling like, okay, I got to play a lot, but you want them feeling like the minutes I got showed me what I can do mm-hmm. and here's what I need to add. You know, I look at, you know, Jordan Butler's minutes against Georgia. Russell Chewa caved his head in on three or four possessions. He got called for two hand checks getting caught in bad switches. You know, he missed two rim attempts. He played, you know, seven, eight minutes. You know, somebody might say, well, good. Now he knows he needs to get stronger in the post. It's like, well, we knew that. (laughs) That didn't take playing eight minutes a game for us to discover that. And more importantly, does Jordan Butler walk into practice feeling like, okay, it's January. I've gone through summer workouts, a trip to Jamaica and fall camp. And when I get to SEC play and the games that really matter, I'm getting eaten alive, you know, some guys, you know, will take that as a challenge. Some guys, you know, may have some doubt. Right. I'm not trying to get in Jordan's head. I'm just saying we all assume that, like, that lump that he took in that game is going to have a benefit for him and that we should inc- not only hold that exposure level, we should increase it. And I think there's a lot of frustration, I guess, because people want to see these freshmen. They want to – they worry that not playing them is going to lead to them transferring – well, here's the thing. If they play and they're not good and Missouri stinks, maybe that leads to them thinking this staff doesn't have the right setup for me. This staff isn't using me right. This staff is putting me in a position to fail. I want to go to a place where that's not going to happen. Or conversely, maybe let's say Trent Pierce blows up and has a really, really good run of games, but Mizzou is terrible. Maybe Trent goes, I played really, really well. The system doesn't good. I'm going to go somewhere else. Like there's not this one line that I think gets drawn through where playing more minutes means happy freshmen, which means they stay. It's there's an entire human element that's being played out here. And only the staff knows when guys are ready for increases and decreases in minutes and exposures and roles. So I think that's the thing that's frustrating for fans is, you might watch this team play and seemingly bash its head against a wall, 
and assume there's some other better alternative, or at least the freshman can't be any worse. When in reality, the outcome could be worse. We've and seen them play enough to know that that's a legitimate possibility, and that's no knock on them. That that's that is not the deal with is, freshmen in 2024. Uh, and so I think that's playing the against 23 and 24 year old guys in in basketball right now. Right. Every team has them. You know, you you want to build them up, but you want to do it the right way. And I guess the, the thing I have sort of seen is it sounds great right now to say play them because everyone's supply of patience is infinite. Give it three or four <laughs> games when they watch the product on the floor. You and I have watched young teams play. Mm-hmm. If you're going to you know, call on the youngsters, you better be ready for some questionable basketball mm-hmm. and then give a lot of grace. And that's again, that's not to say these freshmen are bad, but they're playing against veteran teams and a top three conference. The results aren't going to, I think, be this thing where you're going to be like, oh man, we get five to we get 10 minutes of Trent from what he showed at Minnesota. That may not be what you get. So it's, I, that's just a word of caution as we begin to move into what I think is going to be a period where people are going to keep banging the gavel saying, play him more, play him more. There's a real human element and a diplomacy involved in shifting towards freshmen that is only understood by the guys in that room and in those practice gyms. That's us not carrying water. That's just acknowledging a reality that. And I may have a segue here. Let's see if this segues. The other consideration you have is Nick Honor, Noah Carter, and Sean East all play a lot of minutes. I do think their minutes are going to come down. Um, But those guys were important parts of your program. This is probably a lost season, but those guys were important parts of your of building this program from year one to year two. Um, they're all transfers. Showing that you're going to play your transfers is also a vital part of college yep. basketball in 2024. So ergo, <laughs> Yes, we want to play the freshman, but when you play the freshman, if that comes directly and wholly at the expense of your upperclassmen transfers, when you go into the spring transfer portal saying, hey, here's what we have in NIL and here's what your role is going to be, and you show them that you benched those three guys for the last 10 games just to play freshman, those guys have pro careers. You know, we look at this from a Mizzou only situation, but, you know, I, I, Last thing, and then we'll no. Then we'll segue. I heard someone mention or ask me the other day, like, at what point in time does this team quit? My answer to that is never, never because never each and every one of those guys has a pro career that they're trying to to give some tape on to say, hey, this is me at my best. They're not going to just stop playing. That's silly. You know, we didn't think, or at least I didn't think, we probably wouldn't think that a guy like Trey Gomillion is going to go have a pro career. Guess what? He is. He's trying to have a pro career. All of these guys want to play professionally. So you have to keep that in mind when you're doing this transformation from playing your best players, which they are, to going to the freshman. You know, it's just another consideration you have to make. And if you don't, people who you want to transfer in the spring are going to notice that. I promise you they're going to yeah, notice that. They will absolutely notice it. It's the hard conversations I don't think are far away. And I don't, but I think 
a lot of us assume that like this is you know a re- like nick honor if you told like i hear people say all the time nick honor should absolutely just be on the bench you have nick honor still showing up every day in your locker room mm-hmm. anthony robinson if you play him more than nick honor he is gonna absolutely have awful games you know what he's gonna need he's gonna need a locker room with a veteran that's gonna be able to keep him in a good headspace and if you offend nick and you know get him to basically tap out you're not creating a good climate right for that to happen so yes we're this is all of us a long way of us saying a lot of different things around they're probably going to have to transition but i think how that actually mechanically unfolds is still probably going to be frustrating for people to watch i would agree but but there's going to be a lot of moving parts. There's going to be a lot of sort of, you know, I keep saying diplomacy because that's really what this is. They're managing 15 people and their own aims and aspirations in all of this. We just want to see them win basketball games. They've got to, you know, actually deal with kind of the human element in all this. And, you know, I think, you know, this is sort of the easy segue. I think a lot of Missouri fans thought this year in a best case scenario is going to be avoiding the hard part of what a rebuild is maybe you weren't going to make an ncaa turn maybe you weren't going to you know earn a seven or eight seed but you'd go 18 13 you in and in nit you'd send these fresh these seniors out you know with a bunch of thanks you'd hit the portal and you get your nice freshman and you wouldn't really have to go through a hard reset that's out the door now and now we're doing they're going to have to do the hard part of program building and that's something you're taking a look at and mm-hmm. I think, you know, I'll let your piece come out when it does, but I, I'm just sort of curious here because we keep, we keep talking about what's the retention sweet spot here? You know, what's, you know, the right number of guys you need to hold on to? What do those guys look like? And realistically, what is the best case for those guys? And I'm specifically thinking of freshmen coming out of this year. Like, just let's start it there. We're going to, we talk about the players you want to keep. What's the retention sweet spot, just in broad terms? As far as total people on the roster or total well, players on the roster? Yeah, let's start there, and then we can maybe talk about freshmen. Okay. Well, um, you know, I think there – I anytime <laughs> – I'm trying to think of how to frame this without, without giving away everything I'm working on because um, I want everyone to read this. This is going to be good. Uh, but you, you want the freshmen to come back, obviously. Um, you know, I think Tamar and Aiden Shaw have done enough to earn an invitation back. Now, whether they do want to come back or not, that's a whole nother thing. You know, that, that, we always got to look at this. It's not just Missouri pick who they want, and that's that's what's, yeah. what it's going to be. Um, so I think those five, um, you know, I, I haven't seen enough from some of the guys at, towards the end of the roster who have um, eligibility left, like a Kurt Lewis and even Jesus Carolera, he's getting a lot more minutes, but he wasn't getting a lot more minutes earlier. Um, So, you know, how much do you want to see of those two? Um, Those immediately come to mind. Um, You've got five freshmen coming in and here's, here's where I add my point of caution. You have three freshmen that you want to come back next year and you have five freshmen that you're bringing in. That's eight freshmen and sophomore players that you've recruited, that you've handpicked, that you want to build this program. How much time are you wanting to give them next year? Yeah. This is all a process. When you are doing a recruit or an identify, recruit, develop, and retain strategy, this is how it goes. 
<laughs> you know, you don't just get to say, ah, we want all these freshmen, but then we're going to bring them in and not play them. Guess what happens when that, when you do that? They go. <laughs> you know, your, your entire strategy is gone. So what you're looking at as far as retention, at least in my opinion, is yes, you want the freshmen back. Um, I think, again, Aiden and Tamar have done enough that you want ideally to bring them back to help these guys along next year and be competitive. Um, five freshmen coming in and that leaves you with 10 guys. There's some question marks I have out there and it's not because they're not good. It's just, I haven't seen them enough or yeah. haven't seen them in the right situations. And we're not at that point yet where we have. Um, so I think that's what I'm looking at right now, as far yeah. as uh, about 10 guys that I would feel comfortable slotting into next year's roster. Yeah. What does success look like for this freshman group? You know, I know you're using, you know, Evan Maya's BPR, which is Bayesian, mm -hmm. which basically like staggers up a, like every one point increase is worth what, like 50 spots in like the player rankings essentially. So, yeah, I don't have that right in front of me, but I, <clears throat> I would say like the, the top. Don't quote me on this, but like the top 500 players or so are a 3.0 plus. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. so thereabouts. And that's the type of guys that you're wanting to build your program around. Yeah. Top 500 players. Granted, you know, you can't have 15 top 500 players. It just doesn't work that way. Um, cause there's what 5,500 players in college basketball. Um, yeah. But the, the thing that you want to take away is the development year over year. And this, this freshman class is, um, performing about how you'd expect them to even going back historically they are a good class they're they're not great they're not a great class by rankings i think they finished the three main class was at 27th yeah um, which which is good that's you can build around that but i don't believe any of them were in the top 75 if memory no. serves no uh trip Pierce <clears throat> got into the 80s of the composite okay. index um, so you know, just you're looking at guys that are probably a 1.0, a 2.0, which is well down the bell curve as far as uh, as far as the BPR goes. And I'm not going to get too much into that. Now, yeah. but just they're they're top half players um, yeah. in college basketball, um, maybe not by much, but thereabouts. And then you want to see them increase year after year. Um, so it, it's not surprising next year's class has two guys that uh, project at least via rankings to be better than that. Um, Anner Boateng, of course, is yeah. a top 30 type prospect, which, you know, when you look at a guy like that, your, your development curve is he's, sure, a contributor. <laughs> he's a contributor year one. And you're hoping um, that year two is a big one because he's probably, he's probably gone after that. Yeah. Um, when I looked at it right now, so, the BPR for Trent Pierce is 1.7. So Trent's approaching probably like top 750 in the country. Right. Granted, that's on moderate minutes at this point. Anthony Robinson's around 0.9, so pretty close to average. And Jordan Butler's at minus 0.28, mm -hmm. which is, again, close to average. So you've got guys that, you know, who have played more who are typical college basketball players on about 20 to 30% of minutes, 20 to 40% of minutes per game. Trent's been Trent will be harder to peg down because he hasn't gotten as many consistent minutes. But from everything we've talked about and you talked about with me, this is a typical freshman class for a Dennis for a, a team that Dennis Gage is a, is a member of a staff of. 
So the freshmen are, you know, I think people are going to say they've looked really great. They flashed in context in like historical context. They're pretty solid freshmen. Like I wouldn't like, even if I looked at the BPR ratings for freshmen in the sec, they're outside the top 10. So they, they've been solid to okay, but I wouldn't say that like they've, you know, if you look at the totality of what they've done, I wouldn't say that they have, you know, left anybody floored here. But that's important context or important, you know, background because it means this summer's pivotal for them. Mm-hmm. The biggest spring. Means, <laughs> spring, the spring and summer is pivotal for them to begin to translate because I think year two is where you're going to see the biggest gains for them. And so what we're saying here essentially is if you bring those three back, you need them to develop and sort of, I think, move from spots seven, nine, and 10 in the rotation, probably into the top eight. If you're doing development right, we know historically, as you just said, Honor Batang and maybe Marcus Allen should be guys that can come in and be a factor. So we're looking at five underclassmen realistically in the top eight. Mm-hmm. Is that probably the best way to think about it? It's going to be. Yeah, I, I won't say top eight, but I would say top 10 at least. Um, you know, Solidly with, rotation, guys, five right. underclassmen. Since, we're, since we always have a longer rotation than we're used to yeah. now with, uh, with uh, Coach Gates. But, yes, I would say of the top 10, you want those five, Andrew Boateng, Marcus mm-hmm. Allen, and the three returning freshmen to be in your top 10. If one of those guys isn't as a sophomore, historically speaking, it's probably not going to happen. And – Again, this is also baking in Aiden Shaw and Tamar yeah. Bates returning. So, again, that is five underclassmen, two veteran returners in your mm-hmm. top ten. And we have not seen maybe enough of Zeus or of Kurt Lewis to really say whether or not they should slot into that group at this point. Right. So what we're and saying is – I will say before we go on, I'm still not 100% sure – Zeus has another year. That yeah, and he <laughs> that's a big question. Um, so I he may not even have another year. I think that would require a medical redshirt. Yeah, um, where he played. So you know that that's an unknown. I'm not even sure he's eligible for another year. Yeah. But, but we're we're being liberal. We're being liberal right. with it. So that this is all the way of saying there are three spots realistically mm-hmm. that you would feel like going into next year program building wise. You would say, you could say it if you're five underclassmen, okay, the, you guys, we expect you to kind of come in and be contributors. That would leave you going to T.O. Barrett, you know, Peyton Marshall, and Trent Burns and saying, guys, you know, just be patient with us for the next year. Mm-hmm. We're going to do some skill development stuff. And I think that, like, those three guys understand that. I think Peyton Marshall and Trent Burns are all going to understand that, like, from a strength and conditioning perspective, they've each got sort of tasks they've got to handle. But what I'm saying is we're looking at three spots right now. And that may influence what they have to do in spring. Does that sound right? Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, mm. again, you're, you're striking a balance here um, yeah. based on what you want to do. Three guys would be about right as far as scholarship goes and what three guys, I mean, three portal additions, um, but you could bring in more. There's nothing preventing you from doing it except money, you know, and yeah. I, we, we don't know anything about that. Yeah. Um, but the problem is once you go past three, 
if you're bringing in guys who are better than your your freshmen and sophomores, they're going to be upperclassmen and they're going to want to come and play. Yeah. They're not going to want to come and sit on the bench. And when you do that, your freshmen aren't going to be playing. And these are the guys that you're theoretically wanting to build your program around. So I would agree with you that three is probably the the sweet spot. And that's, you know, even when we're talking about a 10-man rotation and Barrett, um, Peyton, and uh, Trent, um, those guys are still going to get some minutes. They're they will. Not gonna, they're not going to sit on the bench unless it's a complete red shirt. Um, we've seen that this year, you know. Yeah. Mizzou has played 14, 15 guys um, in non-garbage time minutes. So they're going to get some some playing time. It's just not consistent. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as we kind of press up against the hour mark here, I, I think what this is all leading to is it's January, the early conference, but it's already time to portal shop. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality now. You know it's happening. I know it's happening. We know names of guys that are looking around already. Just globally, though, what would you say they need right now? Like you've got three spots. You want to go to the portal, and you can you know make the smart requisite ads that you think are going to fit good program building. What do you think they would need to do? Well, positionally, there's without question they need a primary ball handler. Um, yeah, you know you're losing Sean East and you're losing Nick Honor this year. Um, Anthony Robinson, I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be quite good next year. Um, But even if you're bringing him back, which hopefully they do, um, you have a sophomore, and then you have T.O. Barrett is kind of-ish a point guard. Um, He probably handle that. But, again, we're looking at a guy who ideally is probably towards the tail end of the rotation, and you're way too light um, as far as your, your ball handling. So you want a guy there preferably one who can carry a little bit of the offensive load. Yeah. Um, we, we saw with Nick this year, he struggled with that last year. He was a very good point guard, but didn't just didn't really factor that much into the offense. You need a guy who's used to carrying yeah. um, offensive possessions and can make plays for himself and others. Sean East is a great example of that. If you had another year of Sean East, that would be great, but you don't. Um, yeah. Someone more in that mold. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think probably another, area that you're going to want to hit on is a perimeter wing spot um wing combo guard whatever you want to call it a shooter um next year's team i i like how it's getting built up but you're probably going to be lacking a little bit with um outside shooting tamar bates has been very been very effective but everyone else that you're looking at is either very young or inconsistent yeah wow so you're looking at something like that. And then the, then the third spot is a, is a question mark. And I yeah. think it's kind of where they, where they're wanting to head. Um, I think they're probably going to want to add some size, um, but are they going to want to look for a more skilled offensive player that allows them to continue running their Princeton offense sets where you have the big man out front handling the ball um, and maybe lose a little something defensively by bringing him in. Or are you going to want to go for someone who's more of a defensive athletic threat, um, but not as skilled offensively? Because the Kobe Brown <laughs> was kind of both. He wasn't great defensively, but he's about as close as you're going to get average. To things, things together. And those guys don't come around very often. Right, um, right. So it, it's, I think that that's for the context here, too. You know, we won't list names now. You know, I just think, don't think that's very wise because they're not in the portal. 
right. but we're tracking guys. But what I will say is historically ball handlers are not hard to find in the mm-hmm. portal. It's harder to find, you know, slashing wings. You can find scoring combos, you know, guys who are probably that what six, three, six, four, they're not quite going to run the point, but they can, they can play in some PNRs. They can play in some ISOs and you trust them enough to spot up. To your point, though, it's really hard, even if even if you go down to the mid-major level, to find guys in that sort of Kobe Brown mold. A lot of times they are basically big wings that have been knocked down to the four spot. And defensively, you know, when they're playing guys, they're playing some bigger guys, but they're not hyper-athletic fours and fives. They're able to sort of play with strength, play behind. The schemes are able to sort of cover up that a little bit. And frankly, they're not playing SEC level fours. Um the trade-off. No, no yeah. card. No I mean, Carter. He's, he's a very, very good example, and he was a very good playmaking four at a mid-major level. That is the transition you're looking for for a, a well above average player in the transfer portal. And I know he hasn't shot the ball as well this year, but for large stretches, he's done what you want those guys mm-hmm. to do in transferring up. So I know some people are going to say, oh, Noah hasn't been as great this year. Noah's not done this. Noah's as close to the best case scenario for those kind of stretch forwards as you can get. The problem that you run into is if you want to get a more athletic, you know, four, you may have to take another young guy who's looking to reboot. And not as skilled offensively. And not as skilled offensively. So what you're going to have to do is decide, okay, you know, do we feel like we've got enough athleticism with our freshmen who haven't had to defend at this level, you know, and we can, you know, compromise and get someone who can run our stuff. Or conversely, do we simplify our offense and do we go try and find maybe a freshman or a sophomore who's not happy with their situation or maybe there's been a coaching change? We can get them into our environment. We can show them what we've done for Tamar and how we've helped him sort of reboot and we can play it that way. So I think what you would feel good about is them looking for a wing, looking for a guard, but really that third spot is going to be right. fascinating to watch as it goes mm-hmm. through the year. So that that I think that's really where we are at this point. Um, and this we'll talk be, more about that in the future as we as we as, get closer. As we get closer. <laughs> Believe me, when I say this, what are we at? We're at like, what, 50 names of guys that we're already watching? I'm already watching games of guys. Same here. We, we were doing I'm that. DVRing yet. Them. As am I. Our YouTube accounts and our DVRs are full. That's... And we would encourage you all to do the same because uh, it means you watch more basketball and watching more basketball is always a good thing. But that's all I've got today. Hopefully we're ending it on a note that I think, you know, is pretty practical. We haven't talked a lot about the games this week or X's and O's this week or anything else. But I think, you know, moving forward, barring a change in results, it's good to sort of have more global conversations and sort of, I think, fit what's happening right now into sort of a more longitudinal outlook. This is frustrating it's not enjoyable to watch, you know, our tweets sometimes are a little too snarky and persnickety, but this is a growing pain. The staff has done a good job in prep recruiting. You know, I think we'll see what they can do in the spring, you know, in terms of elevating the guys who come in, but you can add a final note of this. If you want Watkins, this is, globally what pretty solid and healthy rebuilds look like Mm -hmm. we just flipped years one and two on them it doesn't mean that this thing's going to go right and that this is just a brief bump in the road but what we're seeing right now is not abnormal it's not you know something that would have alarm bells flaring it's just 
Mizzou couldn't avoid a little harder reset than most programs have. Even with the portal, even with some stuff here, we're seeing other teams across the country struggle with portal additions. But I think the important thing is to look at what they're doing, you know, from an overall construction standpoint. I still think there's reasons that should ease some frustration or some anxiety right now. But I'll I'll let you get a final word before we get out of here. Sure. No, I I get it is, you know, I – I follow Mizzou basketball. I, I've watched them for 30 years. Um, you know, so I get it that whenever you hear the word rebuild or reset, it sucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mizzou's been through it. I think the, this is what their sixth um, such yeah. reset and not all of them, most of them haven't gone well. Um, so anytime that you see that process, I understand the trepidation of wanting to go through it or needing to go through it again. But I, I, I would encourage you to understand that this is Dennis Gates's first reset at Mizzou uh, because other people have failed or have left after doing a fair amount of having a fair amount of success like Mike Anderson. Um, <clears throat> you know, just because it's not went well in the past does not mean that the new coach is not entitled to that. Um, this is his best way or the way he sees best to rebuild the program. Um, and I would encourage you to go back and look at the programs that Dennis Gates has been a part of. Um, he has built them. Yeah. Whether he can do it at Mizzou or not, I don't know. Um, we It's impossible to know. But there is nothing in his track record that indicates that he doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to program building. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a process. It is not – uh, always enjoyable. It stinks, especially when the weather's like this. But, um, you know, again, we're not telling you not to feel frustrated, not to feel anxious. We would just encourage you just to step back, take a look at, you know, some broader stuff. And if you still feel that way, that's fine. Um, but yeah. I think there's some reason to sort of ease up a little bit. Um, otherwise, this is our recording for the week. We'll be back next week. Um, would encourage everyone to go to the site, Rock Game Nation, and check out what we're doing. Um, we've got a lot of writers now. I've lost track of how big the masthead is. Um, Mark Gilliam, Jaden Lewis are doing a great, great job for us every day. They're on the ground in Columbia. Um, we're really, really happy with what they're doing, you know, to kind of keep things plugged in and, you know, keep you up to date on the nuts and bolts. Um, Watkins, as you mentioned, is working on a big piece, sort of looking at program building. Uh, I'm chipping away on something on the lineup. Uh, come read about football. Come read about um, all the other fantastic Olympic sports. We've got wrestling we've got folks we've got a wrestling writer we've got somebody writing about gymnastics um it's the entire panoply of missouri athletics Mm -hmm. is being covered um thanks for listening to this pod um we hope you subscribe you can do it on all platforms that's apple that's uh spotify i think that's we're still in the google play store i can't recall but um with that i'm gonna get out of here we're gonna go about our day and thanks to everyone for listening Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to 
listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.